Marines. Boy, they're following orders. That's right. So many of you have warmly welcomed us back after quite a few years away, but I especially want to thank Pastor Todd for not only welcoming us, but also offering, offering me the privilege and opportunity to be here and open the word. Some of you may not realize it, but it's not always a happy thing when a former pastor comes back and a new pastor just gets to meet him that uh, Sunday he shows up. Thank you, Todd. Appreciate it. Our text this morning is Psalm 47. And after we read it, you may be wondering, well, what two kings are we talking about? And that will be the first thing that I will try to open up for you in the next few minutes. The Word of God found in Psalm 47. Give attention to it. To the choir master, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord the Most High is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout the Lord with the sound of a, of a trumpet. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on His holy throne. The princes of the people gather as the people of the God of Abraham for the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. Pray with me, please. Now, Father, as we seek to understand this portion of your word, and not just to understand it with our minds, but to have it sink into our hearts and change not just the way we think, but the way we live. Help us, Lord, for Jesus' sake. Amen. There are lots of people these days who have concerns about the way our government is functioning. And that's people on both sides of the aisle, by the way. It's not just conservatives or progressives or whatever group you may identify with or choose to label. Uh, and from a Christian perspective, there are also some fairly significant concerns, I think, about the direction that our nation is taking. Um, you know, that's not a new thing. It's not only not new to this nation, it's not new in this world. Throughout the history of Israel, there were significant problems in government, one type or another. Psalm 47 echoes a period where those problems were not so prevalent in Israel, but maybe more importantly for you and me, Psalm 47, I believe, gives us direction to help us deal more effectively even with our own contemporary concerns. So we need to start at the beginning here. We need to do a little bit of historical background in order to piece things together 
as we recognize, first of all, that Israel celebrated God's sovereign authority. You notice in verses 3 and 4, a clear confession that they were in the land and established in that land because God had secured it for them. He subdued peoples under us, nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride that is the thing that Jacob was pleased and honored by, the pride of Jacob whom he loves. God had done that for his people. And then God was enthroned in the city. That's, that may not come across quite as clearly to you, but verse 5, God has gone up with a shout. The Lord was Uh, The Lord with the sound of a trumpet, and verse 8, God reigns over the nations, God sits on his holy throne. Now, in order to get the sense of what this psalm is talking about, we need to jump back to the historical texts of the Old Testament that really set the stage for what this psalmist has recorded, and in fact, record for us uh, what was going on in the time of David. And that would be found, you may turn there if you want, but I'm just going to read a few verses for us from 2 Samuel, from verses 5, 6, and 7, because those chapters give us the historical background and help us understand the language of Psalm 47. So 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 12, David knew that the Lord had established him king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people, Israel. That's chapter 5, verse 12. Chapter 6, verse 2. This will seem more relevant to what we just read in Psalm 47. David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. So you've got this golden box in which were the tablets of the covenant and uh, assorted a few assorted other things. And and the scriptures tell us, and and this is foreign to our uh, experience and possibly to our way of thinking as well, but the scriptures tell us that that Ark of the Covenant functioned as God's throne, and throned above the cherubim that extended their wings over that ark. The, the ark then was a symbol of God's rule or reign over all things. Now, in a few minutes, we're going to come to the place where we see how David responded to all that, but we've got another verse or two to look at. So that's 2 Samuel 5, verse 12, 2 Samuel 6, verse 2. We jump to chapter 7. Chapter 7 tells us, Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies. So here's David, settled in his house. But chapters 5 and 6 tell us that he also He'd messed up the first time, you may remember the story, bringing the ark to Jerusalem. He'd done it wrong, and somebody died as a result. But the second time he did it right, the second time he he understood what the scriptures taught about the manner in which that work was to be done, and had the Levites carry the ark, and they brought it to Jerusalem, 
And so we find then in chapter 7 and verse 16, the Lord's words to David, they begin earlier in the chapter. I'm only reading a verse though. Your house and your kingdom, the Lord says to David, shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision. Nathan spoke to David. So get the picture here. David's established in his house. He's reigning in Jerusalem, and and there are still some enemies out there. As you read further in the history, you'll find that David still had warfare, but he was established in his kingdom. Not only established, but he's been given the promise by God that his house would last forever and a descendant of his would sit on the throne forever. And then David brings the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. Now some of you know what happens along the way there. But we'd have to read a good chunk of 1 Chronicles 15 and 16 and we're not going to take the time to do that. But maybe you could do it later. What happens along the way is that David is so thrilled at this prospect that the Ark of the Covenant is coming to Jerusalem that he starts dancing like mad. And I'm not going to do it today because I don't have the hip for it at this point. But, you know, it really wouldn't hurt. Really, I'm, I'm sorry, folks. I know we don't do these things, but it really wouldn't hurt. <laughs> it really wouldn't hurt for a bit more outward enthusiasm to be displayed by the people of God, even though they're Presbyterians. (laughs) Thank you. But David is so thrilled with this prospect. Now what is it that makes David so excited? Because we read 1 Chronicles 15 and 16, and maybe we're more on the side of his wife Michal. What's gotten into you, David? No. Because what David has understood is that in view of the great promise of God, he has a throne forever. His descendant will reign forever. So here's David, the symbol, if you will, of the messianic kingship over God's people and over the earth. And next to David's throne is this Ark of the Covenant. I don't mean in the same building. It's in the tabernacle at that point, but it's right nearby. Next to David's throne is the Ark of the Covenant, which is the visible earthly symbol at that point in history of the reign of the sovereign father of all over all the earth. Now, you just need to stop and think for a moment if that doesn't hit home to you. Because what David is doing is delighting in this unbelievable development that the promise of God has come to him and the throne of God has come to him. And they're joined together. So, boys and girls, that's why we were talking about captains on a team and the importance of having them agree. Now, did David and the Lord agree? Well, they did, David did pretty well. 
David didn't do perfectly, but he was a man over God, after God's own heart. And so his joining with the throne of God was enormously important, not just for David, but for the people of God. It was a magnificent event that was thrilling to David. Okay. Well, there's some other verses we could look at, but we need to move along here. Israel celebrated God's sovereign authority, point one. Point two, we are called to join that celebration and to expand it. Verse one makes that clear to us here in Psalm 47. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. By the way, let me encourage you, congregation. My ears aren't as good as they used to be. Didn't sound like so many people were singing out this morning, and I know you can do it. So when you get to a closing hymn this morning, sing out, because we have a call from God to shout to him with loud songs of joy. We should be delighted, and I want to expand a bit more on this matter of why we should be delighted. The call to celebrate is even more necessary now for those who profess to know the living God. And it's more necessary now because it's not just the throne of David, a symbolic Messiah, alongside of a symbol of the eternal reign of God. Now, it's the very Son of God, raised from the dead, exalted to glory, the King of glory. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts, strong and mighty. He is the King of glory. The King of glory reigns alongside the throne of the Eternal Father. It's not just David and a symbol, a golden box symbol of the reign of God over Israel. It's the Savior and the Father. So I entitled this sermon, Two Kings with a Question Mark, because we're inclined to think, oh, it's just one. But no, right now, there are two. There are two kings. There is the mediatorial messianic kingship of the Lord Jesus and the eternal kingship of the Father. And they're joined together and they are perfectly in sync. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm mindful of the fact, dear people of God, that I'm not going to be telling you anything brand new this morning. This is stuff you know. Now, when we come to the point of applying it, it may get a little stickier for me and for you. But these are things we understand. The Lord Jesus is reigning over all things. In fact, tie in the language of Matthew 28 right at the end of the chapter, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, make disciples of all nations. The authority belongs to the Son. The Father has committed it to him. One day his mediatorial reign will be over because this will all be over. And then he will hand the authority back to the Father. 
1 Corinthians 15. You can read that later on. Okay? But for now, this is the situation in which you and I live. We live under the mediatorial reign of the Son of God who has triumphed over sin and death and who now reigns in glory with the Father. And we live under the reign of the eternal God who always has, always does, always shall rule over all things. If that isn't reason to celebrate, I don't know what is. That's cause for delight, for rejoicing beyond our comprehension, because God has done it. Now, I understand that there are times when life is full of trouble. One of the things that this psalm teaches us, though, I could make this the major point, but I'm not. It's going to be minor, but it's not insignificant. One of the things that this psalm teaches us is that prayer is more than petition. Prayer involves praise. We must give thanks to God, worship Him for who He is and what He's doing. And sometimes prayer just sort of sinks down to the level of our telling God what we want. That's not healthy, folks. It tends to make the focus be on me rather than on the God to whom I speak. We need to remember to praise. But then there's something else that I want to touch on this morning with regard to this joining of the celebration of the greatness of our King. Living by faith in the course of this life means learning to trust God's kingship, learning to trust the risen Savior in the various difficulties of life. Now, forgive me, maybe it's just the easy path, but I'm going to use some experiences in my life to try to illustrate this, not because I've succeeded in them, not because I've done it all right, but this past summer included some a range of things. Some of you know that I've had two surgeries this summer. One was to replace the aortic valve. The other was to replace a hip. They've both gone well. I'm thankful for that. But here's what happens when you have a surgery. <clears throat> a number of you know this. For some of you, it'll be news. You get some papers to sign ahead of time. And these papers among other things, including who's going to pay for this, these papers tell you you might not make it through this. Now, they don't say it quite that bluntly, but they point out that there are all kinds of things that could go wrong, including you might not wake up. And so it was a very interesting experience for me this summer, twice to sign these papers, two different surgeries, and be confronted in a very real way with, the, with the, the fact that I might not wake up in this life. Small chance, Lord was merciful, brought me through, I'm doing fine, praise God for that. 
but you got to stop and think when you sign those papers because it's not just a legal formality. It's real. You might not survive. Now on the other end of the spectrum, and by the way, I understand that there are almost certainly a number of you here this morning who are facing greater difficulties than these little things I've just referred to with surgeries and signing papers that you might not live. You're facing ongoing difficulties, you're under pressures, you, you've got sorrows, you're, you're not sure which way to turn. But at the other end of the spectrum from that, are these big issues, there are the little issues. For me this summer it had to do with a truck. I spotted this truck in town. It was beautiful, not new, not gonna buy a new truck, but was looking for a nice older truck. And here's a nice older truck with less than 7,000 miles a year on it, and it has been babied by one owner. And I finally get to test drive it, and it's wonderful. <laughs> now this next part, husbands, this is very important. I went home because I needed to talk to my wife. <laughs> Remember that, guys. You don't just jump at it. You go home and talk to your wife. But something interrupted that conversation, and we didn't get to it for a number of hours. And finally, we talked. And my dear wife says, I agree, Steve. This sounds like a great buy. And so I got on the phone with a son-in-law who I thought might be interested in one of the vehicles we own. And yes, sir, got hold of him in Germany. And he says, yeah, yeah, Dad, I, I'm, he calls me Padre. Uh, yeah, Padre, I, yeah, I'm interested in that. And we come to an agreement on price. And I'm thinking, this is great. And so I call the dealer. And he doesn't answer. And somebody else answers the phone. I said, could I talk to Mac? He says, hold on a second. And I'm thinking, what's, what's the problem here? Well, he gives the phone to Mac. And I start to say why I'm calling. And Mac says, Mr. Hohenberger, I'm so sorry. I'm sitting here right now, writing up the sales contract on that truck. <laughs> You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> I did all this evaluating and looking at this truck and falling in love with it and driving it and persuading my wife we should buy it, and it's sold? <laughs> yeah, it was sold. Now that's at the minor end of the spectrum. But what I recognized at that point is the Lord's in charge here, Steve. And the fact that you can't get that truck ultimately will be for your good. Look, folks, there are all kinds of problems, bigger than the big ones I referred to before, smaller than this little truck thing that I just told you about, and lots of them in between there. And some of them don't go away after a phone call. They continue to be a burden for you, and you're weighing and wrestling with it. Got an email this morning from a cousin whose husband is ill, and they're in financial trouble. And all in the, the, it's a long story. I'm not going to tell you the story. But 
It's not something that's gone away quickly. It's several years in the making for them right now, and it doesn't look like it's going to clear up in the next six minutes. What do you do with those things? Well, here's the point, friends. You learn in the midst of the trial to trust the king. The king is in charge. He's not forgotten you or forsaken you. He's not messed up. He's not made a mistake. He's not punishing you for some way you goofed. He understands. He knows. He's working for your good. But I need to take it a step further than that, folks. It's not good enough. Forgive me, but I'm, gonna, I'm saying it bluntly. It's not good enough to say, I agree with that, and then go on with worrying and fearing and grouching and complaining. I understand it may be a struggle for you and me at times to deal with the difficult circumstances of life. And it may be a process of our learning to trust God with it. But that's the direction you and I need to be moving in. It is not good enough to say, oh yeah, I believe that. I know God's king. And go right ahead and worry and fuss and fume. You know who else believes God is one? Not just Christians. James 2 says demons believe it and shudder. They have an actual faith of sorts that God is one but they shudder over it. Do you understand what I'm trying to say to you? Just saying, I believe, and going your own way without learning to trust him in the midst of difficulty isn't doing any better than the demons do. Now you're going to work on that, and some of you may be upset with me for the way I've said it, and I simply invite you to talk to God. Talk to Him about your struggles. Confess that you're struggling and that you're weak. Tell Him you need help. Ask His forgiveness for the unbelief that is still down in your heart. Don't hold on to the anger and the bitterness that may have welled up in you because it's going to poison your soul and keep you from walking in the way the Lord calls you to walk. And you keep doing that with your sorrows and your pains. You keep speaking to him and telling him you're desperately needy and without his help you cannot make it. There's one last thing I need to touch on with you this morning because it really brings the psalm together. I invite you to keep in mind that God's sovereign authority
in this era extends to the nations in blessing through the gospel. Look at verses 1 and 9 of Psalm 47. Clap your hands, all people. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Verse 9, the princes of a peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham for the shields of the earth belong to God. Shields is just a, a figurative way of referring to kings or rulers. The shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. The psalm is wrapped around this psalm is the call to the nations to praise. Verse 9 connects this psalm to the promises to Abraham, Genesis 17 and 22. So you can go back and look at those and see the language of Psalm 42 uh, echoed here from the book of Genesis. Now what does that have to do with life? The writer expects the writer, this Old Testament writer, I marvel at the way they, what God gave them to see looking forward. This Old Testament writer looks forward and sees the rulers of the pagan nations becoming the people of the God of Abraham. Could it be that Vladimir Putin could come to know Christ? Don't think it impossible, people, because his heart is no harder than yours or mine were before the Lord moved us. The princes of the people become the people of the God of Abraham. How could that be? Better yet, where could that have started? Now, I'd love to take you through John chapter 12, but there is just not time. You need to read John 12 and see the progression of thought there. Greeks come and want to talk to Jesus. Philip isn't sure what to do with it, so he goes to Andrew. He and Andrew take them to Jesus. And what's Jesus start doing? He doesn't start talking to the Greeks. He starts talking about a seed falling in the ground. And unless it falls in the ground and dies, it can't bear fruit. And then he says, the hour has come. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, Father, glorify your name. And then Jesus says words that are absolutely remarkable because they tell us when this of Psalm 47 started. And I, when I am lifted up, will call all men to myself, Jesus said. And then just so there's no misunderstanding here, John adds a little explanatory note in the next verse. By this, Jesus spoke of the kind of death he would die. It's not lifting up to heaven, although that follows. It's the lifting up of the cross. It's the Savior laying down his life, not just for the, the physical descendants of Abraham, but for the world, for the nations to turn and to come to him. It's the Savior doing this magnificent work of substituting himself for Gentiles like you and me and millions of others as well because he's lifted up. Nations are gathered to him and peoples and tongues and tribes as Revelation 5 tells us.
Okay. A couple months ago, the United Kingdom celebrated the 70th anniversary of Queen Elizabeth II's reign. More recently, she has died, and they did another celebration of sorts. Boy, those folks know how to do pageantry, I'll tell you. They really do. And what I saw of their celebration, both of her life and of the life she had lived after she died, what I saw of their celebration was magnificent. Should it surpass our celebration of the exalting of a king of glory? No, it should not. It's not pageantry I'm talking about, folks. It's heart delight in who this Savior is and what he's done for us. And oh, by the way, take that truth and plug it into where I started this morning as you contemplate the sorrows of our nation. What's your hope? A different president, a different Congress? Might make a difference, I don't know. A savior who's on the throne in heaven? Oh, that makes a difference. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of opening your word together today. Be pleased to use it to bring glory to your own great name and to your dear Son, in whose name we pray. Amen.